1: plushcare.com You cut off his arms, you cut off his legs, you cut off his
0: head. How could you miss his dick? How could you miss his dick
1: dick? Hi everyone, I'm Catherine Fogarty, and thank you for joining me on this bonus episode of Where Are You, Mrs. Dick? I hope you've had the chance to listen to our eight-part series. And if you have, I'm sure you have many questions about the murder case and the eventual disappearance of Evelyn Dick. But that's the enduring enigma surrounding this mystery. The more you delve into it, the more you want to know. I've been researching the story for a few years now, and I still feel like I've barely scratched the surface. When five kids on a picnic found the torso of streetcar conductor John Dick on Hamilton Mountain in 1946, their discovery launched a twisted tale of murder, sex, money, and greed that would capture newspaper headlines across the country. And even three quarters of a century later, there are many Hamiltonians that are still very passionate about this story. You've already met two of them Hamilton playwright and producer Brian Morton and journalist Mark McNeil. Both gentlemen have spent years researching, writing, talking, and even singing about the elusive Mrs. Dick. I really appreciate their time and insight. And now you're going to meet another Hamiltonian who has invested a great deal of her time and energy into retracing the mysterious and puzzling path of Evelyn Dick. Sarah Farr loves to talk about Hamilton's most famous murderess. She hosts a Facebook group called the Evelyn Dick Files, and she has recently launched a great blog post under the same name. When it comes to Evelyn, I knew Sarah was someone I definitely needed to talk to.
0: Sarah, thank you for joining me today to talk about, I think, our favorite topic, Evelyn Dick.
2: Yes, indeed. Certainly a topic of discussion. Lots and lots to say.
0: Definitely. I think the more we uh, the more we delve into this case, the more questions that come up. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, how did you first get interested in the story of Evelyn Dick?
2: Well, for me, it was quite by accident. I've um, I've been in Hamilton since 2005 and I'd actually bought a book from a thrift store for 350, and it was the copy of Blue Moon which um, has a very beautiful cover and it's by a fellow called James King more of a fictional account of, of Evelyn but what I found when I was reading it was that I could relate to the street that she was living on for instance and I also had an apartment on the same street so I find, my, find myself kind of Wondering what at this building, and just started to look into it a bit more. And you know, I, I read the the torso murder book by Brian Lee, and um, you know, that's kind of what was referenced to me by the library and places. And it's really been the last thing that's been done on her case. Um, and just ended up with more questions. I think is probably the best way to describe it. And um Hamilton is such a wonderful place to research in any case, because there just seems to be Layer upon layer of stories. So
0: before you b- you picked up that book, you didn't know anything about the case. No, you've never heard
2: of it. No, no, no. So the description on the back, you know, I mean, you have to look into it more. It says accused of the torso murder of her husband and the strangulation death of her infant son. Evelyn Dick remains a fascinating elusive figure. Um, and then it says set in Hamilton. So of course I was hooked straight away. And then you find out about such an incredibly violent. Um, and gory crime, and I think most of the, the Peter's vision about to have the you know, named Torso in the title, um, I wondered well what, is, what a strange thing. I just was very interested in um, learning how, why, what and where.
0: And why do you think there has been such a fascination with this story? I mean we're talking about a story from 1946 so we're seventy, yeah, seventy-four years later, and you and I and and many other people are still fascinated by, about this. You know, why do you think that is?
2: Well, it's a, f- a female crime, um, for a start, and something that uh, one of the things that struck me was, well, this is kind of out of the norm, isn't it? You know, how many? What are the statistics on these kind of like very violent and um, dismembering crimes? It's certainly not something that. Crops up every day, and Hamilton, of course. I mean, we love to gossip here. Hamilton has a a vibrant community of people who will keep will keep the story alive. And there's still, of course, generations here who remember it. It had a very big impact on the city. You know, it happened after the war, and there were pages and pages and pages of of listings of men who had been killed or who had been wounded. And suddenly, it was almost just like this relief hear of something where which could take, the, take their minds off it and lead to something in some ways lighter. But it was scandalous, of course, and, and the rumors around Evelyn, of course, dogged her tremendously. I think Hamilton today will, will continue talking. I mean, Hamilton is a crime hub, unfortunately, which has been kind of brought upon it since the 1920s and even earlier. And tell me a little bit,
0: tell me more about Hamilton. Tell me about how did it, how did it become this, uh, this crime hub, as you say?
2: Well, it's kind of in a convenient spot for everybody, you know, and, and it's been sought after land. And um, prohibition kind of gave it a bit of a foot up um, in, in those kind of terms of managing to get products from A to B without being seen and it was just a short drive. You've got, you know, you've got the Windsor border, you've got Niagara, Buffalo, all these different areas where you can nip across the border
0: quickly. One thing about the, the, the mob uh, factor with respect to the Evelyn Dick mm. case, there, do you think there could have been uh, some truth to to that connection, to a mob connection? Uh,
1: well,
2: they talk about kind of like an organized, Crime, I mean, there may have been some kind of peripheral involvement, I think. It may not have been necessarily the the people that John Dick was primarily involved with, but I think the people that they were involved with. I mean, there was a lot of different kind of um, bootlegging. Auto rings, for example, were getting a lot of attention back in that time. And the cars and vehicles always seem to pop up in Evelyn's story as well. You know, how did how did she get these vehicles in the first place? That would have been something that I think would kind of warrant a little more investigation. I mean, it was a different it, time, right? Because oh, a very, very different time. Yeah. Like, so, for me, trying to put myself back onto those streets is really difficult. So I've kind of tried to just like wallow in some of the newspapers from that time mm-hmm. and if like you get a feel for uh, things they are certainly different.
0: <laughs> Put yourself back in the, in the black Packard mm-hmm. sedan, you know, trying to back yeah. it into, uh, to a garage on, uh, on Carrick Avenue. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. So the podcast starts at the very beginning of Evelyn's life. It starts with her parents coming over from Scotland. So one of the, so one of the first questions, one of the first mysteries is what was that family unit like? I mean, there's been lots of speculation, but we've got, you know, uh two parents, one child, and this child is being brought up, obviously, with, you know, um, Things that aren't really, uh, you know, suitable for a child uh, Mm -hmm. of of her age and of her background. So what, you know, with the the private school and the furs and the jewelry, like, what do you think was actually happening in in that family? I mean, I'm going back, like, say, when she was a young teenager.
2: What do you think was going on? I'd to think. The the closest I could put myself to that was um, from the sentencing of the the baby case. Um, and what a, a psychiatrist brought in. This was in March 1947. Psychiatrist was brought in to kind of speak um, on her behalf, really. And, and this was when they had said that she had the mentality of a 13-year-old. Um, and this, but they also talked about. And I'll, I'll quote. This is the Toronto Star, March 26, 1947. Her early life was one of insecurity, Dr. Finlayson said. The only time she cried while I talked to her, she cried like a baby. And that was when I talked about her early life, her home life with her parents. That was the only thing that seemed to arouse emotional stress. So hearing something like that, I I just don't feel that it was a very happy place for her. And it would have felt um, quite overwhelming, I would think. You know, it seems that she wasn't really allowed to play or to socialize with the you know, friends and things and that she was kind of being groomed for something, you know? Well, and that's a good question. What was she being groomed for? Was Mm -hmm. she being
0: groomed, you know, by her mother to potentially meet uh, someone beyond her social, social stature? Do you think that's what was going on there?
2: Okay, so Alexandra McLean is certainly a woman I would like to have a conversation with because I really can't quite make her out. And she, rather than Donald, have had more of an impact for me during the research. Uh, You know, in some of the the files from the archives of Ontario, there are some letters there from her. And they're quite stern. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be that the the top of mind is her daughter's welfare. But, you know, rather she's looking for a grey coach that she would rather like to have back. Or, you know, and so... (laughs) I'm not quite sure what her motivations were, but I think she was certainly hiding some dark secrets.
0: And there's the the whole question mark about her testifying against her daughter. Oh yeah. uh, On three separate occasions.
2: (laughs) Yes, right. So she just kind of happily just sits in there and says everything. And Evelyn seems to just kind of take it graciously. You know, I mean, I suppose, what, are you, what else would you do? But it seems that she was in a very desperate position in jail and really not knowing quite what to do. And I think there was also a letter from one of the solicitors saying that there was money available, and Donald was, o- was okay to set out that money and have it available for the, for the second trial, but Alexandra was saying that they'd already paid the first solicitor, solicitor too much money.
0: Um, so you brought him up, but let's talk about him. Let's talk about Donald McLean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well exactly. I say that because you know whenever we say Donald McLean, I just I just see that kind of ruddy face image of him, you know. Oh dear. Um Donald McLean. Definitely liked his booze. Back in those days as well, um you still had to... You know, liquor and alcohol were still rationed, so you still had permits and tickets for that, um, which I imagine would be kind of a a sought-after item. Donald apparently never had a short supply of food, so it'd be interesting to know where that food came from. He, um, he seemed to be very brash, and um, to throw a, like another theory out there, I mean, they originally were um, out in farming country as well in Beansville and I don't, sometimes wondered if you know John Dick had actually met that family back there at any any change or if there was um, you know the, the families had met because there was mm-hmm. one family out there in particular who, who had a, a large cannery that mm-hmm. John Dick was related to. Right that's the, um, the Wall Brothers I believe. Yeah yeah yeah
0: Um, yeah, he was definitely a a piece of work and let's let's talk about him in in a little bit. Um so we've got this young woman who uh goes to uh goes to private school and uh as we talk about in the podcast, she obviously starts um, you know, gaining interest from a lot of men around Hamilton um and develops a, a very wide social circle what do you think was was going on and and do you think uh i have to ask the question about you know the the infamous black book um mm,
2: what was all that about
0: what was all that about
2: because i mean like you've gone through the archive files as well right
0: mm-hmm. yes
2: and like did you actually find any reference to it no no you did i
0: no
2: <laughs> and so um I think there was a lot of misquoting going on. I don't know if you want to go into that right now, but mm-hmm. I feel like there was a lot of things that um, were said, and simply because there hadn't been any follow-up to this, Catherine. Like, this is why this is still how the story is perceived. Right.
0: Well, I, I certainly I know one of the the uh, ideas out there or um, the beliefs is that there was a black book that had a number of very... Uh, you know influential and powerful names, and probably mostly married names in that book uh where that potentially went or ended up, we don't know um and did that i mean jumping forward, did that black book and those any of those names have anything to do with what happened with evelyn dick uh after you know after prison getting out of prison early, oh, yeah. getting a royal prerogative, like was there any connection? to, to that. I, I personally don't, I don't know. So, um,
2: that's one of the, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I feel like she's more having to hide something or like, or they were trying to hide her. Um, and why Evelyn wouldn't reconnect with her daughter, which is what we had heard at least. I don't understand that or why she wouldn't want to come forward and perhaps talk to people.
0: Well, I I mean, again, the one thing that that I've been led to understand is that because she was given, you know, a whole new identity uh, and the press were uh, desperately trying to find her, Brian Morton talks about uh, McLean's magazine having like a $20,000 bounty on her head, so to speak, if anyone could lead them to her. So the my understanding was not telling her daughter where she was actually to protect her daughter because Mm -hmm. she never wanted her to be in a situation where, you know, she was going going to be, you know, uh, blackmailed or bribed to to give up that information. So it was better that she she never knew.
2: Yeah, I imagine that would be heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it sure would, and and of course we don't know if if Heather is is still alive or where she would be today, because she has never spoken about about her mother.
2: No, so. she hasn't. And yeah, through through some you know meeting some people here, I actually met a lady who claims to, and I and I believe I mean, she's being sincere, claims to have known her as a teenager, and she says that she misses her friend very much. And she she said that, you know, she really is hoping that she went on to have a good life because she sure had a bad start at the beginning. Um and so and she you know, she actually, you know, got teary in, in talking about her. She also had a, a kind of a little story about Alexandra McLean and saying, you know, when they they were downtown in Hamilton and they they met up accidentally walking along the street and and Alexandra wouldn't even, you know, really make eye contact with her. And so um, Heather took her to the side a little and said, you know, oh, just don't worry about her. You know, she's just a bit like that. So, yeah, little interesting, little interesting thing. One of the biggest questions, of course, in this
0: story is why Evelyn married John Dick? Mm. because she had she obviously had was keeping company with more um socially you know upwardly mobile uh, gentlemen again maybe they were married so there wasn't an opportunity there but it did seem like she was being groomed for something else and then she you know out of blue seemingly she marries this guy who has, you know, he's a working class guy, uh, very similar to her father. He has no money. He's a Russian immigrant. And, of course, her parents are furious. And everyone is like, how, what's going on here?
2: I wondered if, you know, it was rebellion in part. You know, you said he said you know, he's Russian, so you know, this kind of threat of communism, something that, you know, excited her to to try to get out of the awful situation. If the situation was as bad as you know, it was commented on in, in the court, then would she not have been doing anything she possibly could to get out? If Donald and Alexander were arguing frequently and he was a drunk, I think we can you know, we can all imagine the kind of awful Tension that must have constantly been in the air there. And mm-hmm. Alexander and Donald had, had separated quite a number of times. Um, you know, I, I haven't actually ever seen a marriage certificate for those two either. Of course, McLean is a bit of a difficult name, but I've wondered if they were ever actually really legally married. Mm. Hmm. Rude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, (laughs) these are Um, all these things.
0: (laughs) Wait a minute you can't you can't bring up more questions. We've already so many. (laughs) This is
2: what this is what the story is, though you know, and and why I think also a podcast is a fantastic way to open a conversation. There's a certain anonymity about it too, when it's just voices. And I'm sure there are people out there who would love to feel safe enough to come forward to talk about some of this stuff. It's it's real people. And, you know, we we talk about how horrible the, the, the torso is and all that. But this, there's a lot of people, and the Dick family, too, who should be offered a voice.
0: Absolutely. And I would I would love to hear from some of those people. I mean, 74 years on, we are, we'd be in second generation. I mean, the people that were directly involved in the story would all be gone now. But, you know, children and grandchildren... May you know may know parts of this story that uh, nobody's been able to mm-hmm. to uncover yet. So, and I think you know seventy seventy four years on. I mean, I think that's a reasonable time to that you know. Uh, I mean, I personally believe that Evelyn Dick is is most likely uh, dead. Uh, she would be a hundred years old this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I understand when people are trying to protect um others but you know my hope is that we are far far enough along in in this story that you know maybe it is time to to talk about a few things so speaking of questions the the baby the infant son of course huge mystery about that um first of all uh why why she had this child in the first place and, you know, based on court records, she uh, was very uh, careful to take care of her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. She'd hired a, a doctor for herself. She'd hired a doctor for the baby, gives birth to a very healthy baby boy. And then, you know, we know all know what happened. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense.
2: No. So it, it all kind of comes down to the the father of the baby and not wanting to real, reveal the father's name. Perhaps um, I don't think she personally killed the baby. I think I think her her testimony um, during the the baby case was you know really she's always been very descriptive. You know, which is really what made me wonder why her information was scoffed at so much. Um, you know, and according to what what she said bill took the baby from her after she left the hospital in september of 1944 and then he brought it back to her dead in a box in february the next in 1945 and so i mean it's from what she had said bill was saying that he would look after it. it wasn't saying flat out that he was taking the baby and going to to kill it. Um, and it kind of goes down to, you know, can we prove that there was more involvement perhaps from Bill? But there hasn't been an awful lot said about him afterwards. The issue
0: around Bill Behozak, of course, is another interesting one, because depending on what you believe, I mean, I I personally believe that, I don't think he had anything to do with uh, with the murder of John Dick or the baby, but somehow she decided that she was going to drop him, drop him into it, so to speak. But why? Again, why why do you
2: think that? Why do you think that? Why why do I think that she? Why do I think
0: he wasn't involved? Yeah, yeah. Well, the timing doesn't work out because they both admitted to the fact that they'd only been intimate. On one occasion, and that occasion was uh, 13 months after the baby was actually born. So the actual the timing didn't work out at all. And if he if he had nothing to do with that baby from a oh, I took, I took point it to be,
2: a bit. I took it a bit differently yeah. because I I took it that she was saying that she'd seen him like on a number of, a, of occasions before. No,
0: because just the one time. That, I mean, that's what was written. I mean, again, okay, I can only go with what was, what's been written previously because that's after he was, uh, intimate with her. That's when he finds out that, you know, John Dick shows up at his workplace and says, you know, why are you seeing my wife? And and he says, well, obviously I didn't know she was married. And he claims that that's when he
2: stops, stops, um, seeing her. So I, I don't quite believe him. (laughs) <laughs> so we 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 can oppose on that but yeah. like I mean Evelyn's version was that um, she had known Bill before he was married to Helen Mitchell in mm-hmm. June 1944 and Bill said that he had been introduced to Evelyn through his wife so mm-hmm. that was always yeah. the the contention
0: yeah and then the wife leaves him and then he yeah. Hooks, so what, he, what hooks, was all that? he hooks back up <laughs> You know what? I don't know. There's not very little that's ever been said about that. It was kind of she went to California and, to look after a sick friend. But I do know she was there during uh during his trial. Yeah. So she she did come back to support him, but she's she's not the she's not the woman he ended up with. He ended up Do you do you, want
2: to, do you want to figure all this out? Like I know you, you've you've done the 8 episode and like this is a mm-hmm. bonus and stuff, but Do you want to? Oh, think, absolutely. I think we're 75% 75 there. Mm -hmm. I really feel that. With everything that's available to us now. And um, with the hoser, so here's the teaser, okay. Um, Recently, a photo came up for sale that claimed to be Evelyn. um, And I managed to purchase it. And it shows her leaning, well, First off, we would have to prove that it's Evelyn. You know, it could mm-hmm. it could be anything, but if it is Evelyn, she's leaning up against. She does not have a wedding ring on. Starts, and she's leaning up against the brick of the house, and in very small letters is the number twenty one. And Bill, of course, lived at twenty one, Picton West. Now it doesn't look mm-hmm. like the front of the house, but the, it was like a, in a little shield. And from what I understand, they would. Sometimes have the numbers at the back of the house. It's like for fire or, you know, like for deliveries at the back. Right. So that so that's the kind of teaser because then if that is her, it would be saying and showing that she actually did know him when she was much younger. Oh. Right? Yeah. Well, Going back to the baby, the
0: other big question that I have, and I think many people have had, uh, is: however, this baby met its demise. Why did she hang on to the body of the baby?
2: Well, I, I don't know what you'd do with it. You know, it, it, like what would you do with it if if it was well, back on the
0: According to others, you throw it in the bay.
2: I don't think that's, and I think you had mentioned that as well. I don't think that's why the the concrete was involved. I think it was, that was to stop the smell. There are other, there are other Oh, and I found a good thing just today. Um, So there are other stories about babies in suitcases from around the same time. There was actually one which was just up the road from her. That was a few years later. And then this one I found today was about a baby found in a trunk in Kingston, Ontario in 1950. And the trunk belonged to a woman who stated the baby was born in Hamilton in 1948, and she had not wanted to reveal the father's name. But that's another little. ooh. Mm. I'm,
0: I'm fascinated by your your, your thoughts around Bill behovic because, yeah, I uh, I just I never saw that he had anything to do with with any of this. But uh, somebody you know, was, I somebody was on like
2: Facebook. A, Somebody on Facebook has commented that they live next door to him and he was creepy. So after I'm done here, I'm going back here to try to see if we can wrangle some more info. Speaking of which, tell me about your Facebook group. When
1: did you start that?
2: I started that quite early on. Um, and it was just as a way of kind of like putting a few things here and there. But then I started thinking, you know, I don't really want to, if I find anything juicy, I don't really want to give it away in Facebook, <laughs> you know. So I've kind of slacked down on that. Um, um, actually Mark McNeil from the the spec suggested I write a, a blog about it and I have started doing that through WordPress recently and it's you know it's actually a good way because I have so many random thoughts you know going from one thing to another here for the blog you can just add another link or just go to that other thought so it's right. kind of a helpful way of processing information yeah it's been so it's been kind of It is. And it has been like an obsession for a few years, I'd say. But, you know, there comes a time when there's more pertinent and, you know, current stories that I kind of move my attention to.
0: How I became sort of uh, reinvigorated by this story is reading um, the Brian Valley book. And he opens the book with this, you know, smart lunch between... Evelyn Dick, and the woman from the parole board at the Fairmont in Ottawa. And I thought, uh, how is that possible? How is the convicted murderer having, uh, you know, a nice lunch with Mary Louise Lynch from the parole board? So I thought, so then I just kept reading and reading and reading, because I thought this doesn't make sense. And that's why um, the podcast is called Where Are You, Mrs. Dick? Because I became more fascinated um, with, what happened after uh, she got out of prison? Because there is, yes, there's this fascinating story of what happened in Hamilton and the murders that took place, you know, with yeah. John Dick and and the infant and all the different characters. But then there is this whole other story and mystery as to what happened mm-hmm. afterwards, and we still yeah. nobody knows.
2: So no, nobody. And, I mean, well, I mean, I think I think there are some people who know they just can't legally say anything, <laughs> you know, right. so it's like a catch right. a situation. Really, yeah. um, I think once once like her name was dis- is discovered, like I think it would be fairly easy to find out about her, um, but it's actually clarifying that information and. And so, yes, I mean, they said she went out west and she was still in Ontario or she went, you know, down to the States, you know, and and maybe she went to all three of these places, you know, I mean, there was certainly time to do it. Do you think she ever came back to Hamilton? Um, she may. I, I don't know. But then again, there's people who have claimed to have seen her in Hamilton, you know, after release. And but I don't think she would have stayed here for any considerable length. Uh,
0: one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which uh, again has come up at, uh, during different um, different types of writing about Evelyn Dick, she has been portrayed as uh, the femme fatale, uh, or and she has been portrayed as a victim, potentially a, uh, a victim of incest as well. And obviously, during her trial, and because it was 1946, uh, she was portrayed in a certain way. You know, they talked about how promiscuous she was, and she was an unwed mother, and she had illegitimate children. And and so, where do you think she, where do you think she should be on you know, in between those two? Is she, is she was she sort of a cunning, conniving, uh, murderess? femme or or do you think she was more of a victim of you know the, the sort of the circumstances that she was raised in
2: i think it i think it was quite awful how um she was portrayed both then and now um even you know there's, a, there's been a lot of like the single episode podcast about her where they're just kind of re- recanting the same old information and you know and these quotes that she's She'd slept with one hundred and fifty men, and I still have not been able to find those quotes. In fact, when I've looked through the papers from the archive she's she's counteracting that. you know um, nearly every man you have ever gone out with has had intercourse with you. Is that right? asked W. Schreiber and he said she says no, sir." and he said, how many men have there been in your life that ever had intercourse with you?" Just a few, she responds. Like, for goodness sake. And it says, you have been running around with various men since you have been 15 years old. And she said, I beg your pardon, I have not. <laughs> so how we got to the 150 men, I would really, really like to know. Well, I think uh,
0: having spent time in the archives on other stories, I mean, the way that things were reported, Back then are are very different than than what you would read today. That they would uh, definitely yeah, it was very uh, like very sort of soap opery. This is before television, so people are you know listening to the radio and they're getting you know the 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 daily newspaper. So I I've always had the impression that the newspapers were definitely in competition. So, the, oh, you know, the, more, yeah. the more salacious the headlines, the better. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, the, and from there, there was some beautiful writing, though. That I think my favorite from those times was um, a lady called it Eva Lee warrior She was writing for The Star, if I'm correct. But she just writes beautiful descriptions of all the things that are, that are going on in the courtroom as well. And talks about, you know, somebody with a squeaky shoe. And the disdain of everybody with the squeaky shoe and also the heater and the steam you know, making this, you know, long, arduous noise throughout the trial. So that was probably some of my favorite reading. It's it's kind of, yeah. it's just a gr- lot of great headlines. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion as to uh, who, who do you feel or think killed John Dick, Like actually mm. pulled the trigger?
2: Oh, I wish we could ask Evelyn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Bill. I mean, I mean, I can't say for sure. That's so sorry, Billy Boy. I can't say for sure. I just, I can't see Donald McLean really having. He just seems like this kind of inferior. He's a bit of an angry man. I, okay, Evelyn's description of going up onto the mountain with Bill and him. Shooting in the car and the smoke in the car. I mean, it was all very detailed, as I've said before, with her, with the words that she uses and saying about bottles and cans being discarded on the side of the road. I don't believe Evelyn pulled the trigger. And why and was, do yeah? Why do you
0: think? I mean, why do you think he was he was murdered in the first place?
2: Well, the Wall family um, believes that he had seen. Uh, they say that you know. He, they were very close. So, you know, John Dick had two sisters who were married to two brothers who were in the Wall family. Um, and they were all they were very close. It was a close-knit family. John would talk to them about things. And so he had said that, you know, that he was concerned that if something happened to him, you know, if he didn't hear from him, it was something to do with that family, the McLean family. So he had seen a tickets ticket in the home on Roslyn Avenue. So he knew something was up. And I think whatever escalated escalated pretty quickly. Um, I think the the streetcar tickets is an interesting scenario um, because it was always stated that he had been pilfering them over a period of time. But I think all these all these pieces are there. It just it just takes you know a bit of a village here to just pull the bits together.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely uh, Or maybe some um, some DNA somewhere along the line I Oh yes, guess. would
2: you be interested in luminoling a basement? Well you know I
0: don't know what you have talked to I know one area um, that's been a bit of a Uh, a block is that uh, when I hired a researcher to to look into you know some aspects of this case I know the one area that she got uh completely no response from was the Hamilton police is that right yes and she was very uh yeah they would not speak to this case at all yeah nothing um, and Ooh. she and I talked about that because, you know, most of the people she was contacting and again, you're, you know, you're throwing out your net far and wide, mm-hmm. you know, people, people are, are willing to, to talk and chat and, you know, mm-hmm. fill in any blanks that they, they may or may not have, or, mm-hmm. but the door was completely closed,
2: uh, from with the uh-huh.
0: Hamilton police. So well, that's,
2: that's disappointing. And I will also say, I think it's also disappointing that the, the, the history museum so the Hamilton Police History Museum had, I don't know if it's still labeled as such, but it was, they had this gun, which was labeled as Evelyn Dick's gun. And there was never any gun in the trial proceedings that was registered to Evelyn Dick. So why sure. they, something simple, you know, mm-hmm. and I Again, I think they just don't have a willingness to kind of go and look at it again. Now, they're probably so fed up with people asking the questions about it. But, you know, maybe they don't want to talk about it because maybe they didn't really look at the thing as a whole at the time. And we don't know how, how, how much pals people were with the police. And was mm-hmm. there something else that they were perhaps trying to hide, which was bigger than all of this? I don't like Absolutely. to think that way. I don't like to think that way because I like to think they would be open about these kind of things. But I don't think we would see this same kind of trial in today's time. Certainly never get away with the questioning that she was put under. I think it certainly deserves a second look, a detailed look. And I like the fact that this is coming from a female perspective because I think the old boys kind of like the idea that she is this, there we go, that femme fatale and the prostitute idea, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's very really easy to vilify someone like that.
0: It's very easy, but there mm. are you know, so many different different levels and layers. But again, it was you know it was an interesting time that none of us alive today really can speak to. You know, nineteen nineteen forties uh, Hamilton, Ontario. So mm. it, I'm certain it was it was an old boys uh, club, very much so.
2: And, um, and typically now, when people say they're talking about Evelyn Dick, they say, "Oh yeah, I've read the torso murder book." meaning Brian's book. And, you know, forgive me, but he rushed that book. He was under a strict deadline with it and, and they were they were wanting to get it done. They It was, you know, coming out in combination with CTV's you know, a Notorious Mrs. Dick. So he became obsessed with wanting to find out where she was. And I think in that process, he missed a lot of the important details that we all need to know.
0: Well, and again, I think it's just bringing, I think it's just, trying to bring up the questions that still there's so much that we really just can't answer and that definitely needs uh, you know a, f- a further investigation a further mm-hmm. look and and whether we can do that you know today so many years later you know it's hard to say but
2: yes we can. Think- yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> well bad. i i hope so yes, and and can. part of you know what i'm what i'm was hoping to do with the podcast is is try to Get this story back out there, get the full story out there as it as it has been uh written and has as it has been reported, um, and then try to try to pick it up from from there. Um, mm-hmm. I mean Brian Valley's book was published in two thousand one, I believe. Yeah. Yes. So it's been it's been a number of years and you know, the stories the story is still out there and we still have uh nobody ever convicted of
2: yeah, murder. well, they they kind of, yeah, they swept her under the carpet, kind of, and there really wasn't that much reported about her afterwards. Why they would have been so invested, I'm not sure. Maybe it was um, almost an experiment as well. She was one of the, the first people to be kind of whiffed away, I think, because the parole board was fairly new, correct? Yes. 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 So.
0: Brand new at the time.
2: Yeah. So that was lucky.
0: <laughs> yes, it was a, a Ticket of Leave program. And then it became the National Parole Board, so, um, which I believe was in 1959. So she was actually released under the Ticket of Leave in, in 1958. But there was this gentleman, Alex Edmondson, who took a very personal interest in in Evelyn and her well-being and her future and recreated uh, an entire new new life for her. Um, wow. And I and I know the comparison to her in in more recent times has been you know the whole Carla Homolka story mm. um, because that's uh, you know another person who has who has who was given a, a new identity Ugh. so it, that is an interesting comparison
2: yeah doesn't fit yeah. well does it
0: yeah
2: yeah I, I I didn't you know I didn't get too much into the parole board. Research it wasn't so readily available as well. I mean, I can only do one thing at a time, I suppose, with that. So i would be really interested to hear what what you've narrowed down. Um, I, you know, when we're looking at this, I'm I'm always just looking now for things that match up with other things. You know, it's like Mm. criminal case snap.
0: Trying to trying to put a, a very uh, complicated puzzle together. Yeah. With respect to the parole board, uh, I've actually been in contact with them, mm-hmm. and again, they will not speak to this case, which I I still can't understand. Being that, that it you know exactly. it's a very old a very old case. So I actually just got an email the other day from somebody at the parole board. Because I was asking about the royal prerogative of mercy, which, yeah. of course, is what Evelyn was given, which is uh, clemency by the federal government. Very, very unique, very rare. Mm-hmm. Many questions about that. How did that all come about? And so I contacted them to say, can we talk about the royal prerogative of mercy? I know you don't, you're not necessarily going to be able to talk about this particular case, but you know, I would like to understand more about that process. Because everything I've read about it doesn't fit Evelyn Dick's case, and I was, you know, I was shown the door very quickly. They they won't speak to it at all, and I was basically told, "Go to the website and look at look at." The answer was a non-answer, which is (laughs) go to the website and read about royal prerogative, and that's all we're going to say. So, so again, um, doors doors are shut with respect to that. And even I had mentioned that, you know. With respect to files, I mean Evelyn will would have been a hundred years old this coming October. Yes, she was born in October of 1921 or 1920. Sorry. So, you again, I wondered if that would release some information, some files with respect to the archives. But no. It, it you won't.
2: mentioned that they had changed something to 120 years.
0: I believe it's either 120 or 130. So yes, they. Uh,
2: Wow. They won't,
0: they won't release any records because they would have her, many of her parole, like her parole records and things like that. Right. And the catch 22 with that is if you, uh, if you apply for, say, if you are asking for somebody's parole record or something personal, I and mean, you can prove that they have been dead for a certain length of time and believe that 30 years, then they can grant you access. But because we don't know what her new name was, we're in this catch 22. Okay, so we can't prove that she's she's dead because we don't know what her new identity was.
2: Yeah. Well, this is why but, it would would make it a lot nicer if then um, you know they would somebody would come forward and be who was able to I don't know hopefully you know we can actually maybe narrow some of the story down, and maybe maybe it will encourage people to to come forward in whatever way they feel comfortable to do so. It's a long time after this crime and we understand that there's maybe some really not nice things that we may uncover during this. And that's something else that maybe Hamilton will have to just expose. But people deserve it. So how long do you think
0: you're going to follow Evelyn Dick?
2: Well, it's like every time you kind of feel like it's quietening down, something else pops up. (laughs) But I think this is probably the I would like a a good opportunity to give it a real go. And I would be interested in like seeing if the stuff that you've uncovered matches anything that I have or if we can broaden the conversation because it's not our story. It's it's Canada's story. And I would like to find some answers for people and and give it a bit more. Well, I'd like maybe Hamilton Police to say something about it, make a proper comment. (laughs) I don't know. It's strange, that I don't know quite. An... Yeah, I mean, I know they're just sick of it. Oh dear. But there's questions about it because it's unresolved. I have never experienced a city like Hamilton, Ontario. I've lived in England and I've lived in Sydney, Australia, and I have never experienced anything like this city. It is intense. I didn't really understand that there was an organized crime element until I witnessed it here. And, you know, it's, it's in subtle businesses like real estate, you know, and, but it's very much there. So mm-hmm. a bit of honesty from people about whatever was going on back in those days would be interesting. The, the incest side is another side which uh, the, there are so many. Oh, it's, such a, it's hard for me to, to describe how I feel about that if that is a possibility. Interesting. That's another great theory. I have mm. I have lots of crazy theories about this, Catherine. Do you think Evelyn Dick is still alive? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I. I can't imagine it was possible. I Can't imagine it would be possible. I, I. I think she may have died, maybe out of the country. And going back to the the royal prerogative of mercy, and one of the things that does does allow somebody is to travel freely across the border without the criminal record being brought up. So she may have gone down south to get away from Canadian winters and lived out the rest of her days down there somewhere. Again, like talking about her, her her mental capacity, her handwriting and her, her letters were beautifully articulated. And she certainly wasn't a moron, as they had had, they had calculated and called her. She was insightful and thoughtful and apparently had a very good memory. I'd like to know a little more. I think we all would. Yes. (laughs) Who are you and where are you, Mrs. Dick?
0: Exactly. That (laughs) is the question. (laughs) Well, thank you uh, for taking the time to talk about our favourite subject.
1: Thanks again for listening to Where Are You, Mrs. Dick? I'd love to hear your thoughts or any questions you may have about the murder of John Dick and the disappearance of Evelyn. You can reach me at storyhunterpodcasts.com or on Facebook or Instagram. I will be posting any new information or updates I receive. And if you liked the podcast, please pass it on. As far as I'm concerned, the story of the raven-haired Hamilton beauty isn't finished yet so many mysteries surrounding this case still remain. Who actually shot John Dick on that fateful day in the spring of 1946? And who cut up the body? Why did Evelyn kill her healthy newborn son? And why did she hang on to his remains? Why was she given preferential treatment by members of the National Parole Board? And... Why was she given a royal pardon by the federal government? And lastly, where are you, Mrs. Dick? We may never know, but I, for one, am going to keep looking.
2: Evelyn,
1: oh, Evelyn, it's
2: been a very long time. Since you went away from here, your cigarette.
1: This is Dick is written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. The song Evelyn Dick is written and performed by Mark McNeil. A special thank you to Mark McNeil and Brian Morton. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. For more information on this episode and other podcasts, visit us at storyhunterpodcasts.com.